1: What's up, everybody, and welcome in to the Philly Sports Power Hour with Bill Calarulo. NBA trade deadline today, 3 o'clock. I don't think anything will probably happen until 3 o'clock, if anything happens at all, but we're going to talk a little bit about that again today. See what the Sixers do after losing another game where they get dominated last night. But we'll talk about that. Do a little bit of Eagles talk. We started to dive in a little bit yesterday into some of the contract issues. I told you my thoughts about Jason Kelsey. So I want to dive more into some of the contract issues that the Eagles are going to have to figure out this offseason. And some players that we may love not coming back next year. But we'll talk about that as well. And then Thursdays. We're usually joined by my man, Mark Farzetta. Farsi can't make it today. So I got a surprise guest coming in at 1020. Someone who's never been on the Philly Sports Power Hour before. So stay tuned. 1020, surprise guest taking Mark Farzetta's spot today. Not going to want to miss this one. But let's get a little roll call. I see the Power Hour crew in the chat nice and early. We're streaming live on Jacob Sports. We're also live across all my social platforms. Make sure you're following. Make sure you're subscribed. We're also on TikTok here. What's up, TikTok? Make sure you're following. But let's get a little roll call in the chat from the Power Hour crew nice and early. Jason A. Team first in the house today. Flexing and stepping. My man. We don't always see eye to eye, but I love my man flexing and stepping. Bridget Tobin, my number one fan. Twiz, Jimmy Wen, Big D, Fannie Woods, Steve Patton, James Jones,
2: Chuck Hutton. Cool Ranch Bank Dorito in the house. Bryguy, Crawley, Rob from Temple, Temple Tough. Who else we got in the house today? Spa City Chop.
1: Slagger. Man, the whole crew is here today. Hollywood Hogan. Jeff Bone, Bonehead. Man, I can't read them all out, all the people in the house. But if I missed you, I appreciate you here. I appreciate the TikTok crew here. But let's jump in. Let's talk a little 76ers before we switch over back to our Philadelphia Eagles because there's a lot to talk about. And also, reminder, tomorrow will be our last football Friday of the entire year. So we're going to go real heavy Super Bowl tomorrow. So we're going to talk a lot of Super Bowl tomorrow. We'll talk about the matchups. Talk about some prop bets. Always fun, the prop bets. I don't really do any, but I like looking at them. But people bet on everything and anything for Super Bowls. But let's jump in. 76ers, 3 o'clock trade deadline today. Do they make a move? And then a bigger question, should they make a move? And Steve Patton in the chat is correct. Don't want to forget about this. Flyers and Winnipeg Jets tonight. Big game for the Fly Guys. Can they keep the winning streak going? Won their first one after the break, got back in the winning column. Can they win another one against a very good Winnipeg Jets team? About a month ago, Flyers went into Winnipeg and pretty much shut down a very good Jets team. So let's see if they could do it at home tonight, 7 o'clock. We'll talk a little fly guys tomorrow as well because they may be our only hope left in this city. Because the 76ers, do they make a move? But more importantly, should they make a move? Well, if they were trying to make a case last night for why they should make a move because maybe they still have a chance of contending, they didn't do it last night. They get dominated by the Golden State Warriors. And this is not the Golden State Warriors we're used to. This isn't a very good team. They're an average team at best.
2: Warriors crush them. 127-104 at the Wells Fargo Center. That's the Sixers' third loss in a row. It's their seventh loss in the last eight games. Now, look. Given them the
1: benefit of the doubt, they were shorthanded again. Obviously, no Embiid, no DeAnthony Melton, no Nico Batum, no Daniel House Jr., who was held out late. A lot of people speculating maybe he's in the trade discussions. No Marcus Morris Sr., no Robert Covington. Paul Reed was back, still recovering from the flu or whatever he was dealing with. And Tyrese Maxey had the flu or. Whatever sickness he had, he was questionable coming in.
2: He clearly wasn't Tyrese Maxey last night. Only 12 points. But even still, and I said this yesterday on the show, what move
1: are the Sixers going to make that's going to put them over the top, that's going to give them a chance to beat some of these upper echelon teams in the Eastern Conference? And it's unfortunate because really there's no dominant team. The East was pretty much wide open. The Celtics, yes.
2: Milwaukee could be. They don't have a great coach right now. The Indiana Pacers scare me. We'll find out
1: more about Cleveland. Sixers play Cleveland in a couple weeks, I think. Knicks are hot, but they're a little bit banged up right now. But is there a move that this Sixers team can make? Where even if a healthy Joel comes back,
2: that we feel comfortable saying, yeah, they have a shot to go to the NBA Finals. I don't think there is one. You hear some of the names that are being floated around. Pacers wing,
1: Buddy Heald. Well, a lot of people like that move, but from what I'm hearing and what's being
2: reported, that's off the table now. Pistons forward. Bojan. Bogdanovich, 34 years old,
1: decent three-point shooter. Is he going to move the needle for this team? Is he going to put us over the top to be able to beat Boston in a seven-game series? No. There's talk about them bringing in some center depth behind Paul Reed and Mo Bamba, maybe bring back Andre Drummond. Does that move the needle? So I just don't think there's a move to be made And I don't want to see this Sixers team make a move just to make a move. Sit tight. Shut down Embiid. I'm hearing more and more that the likelihood that Embiid comes back this season is slim. And what we know about the 76ers and their history of how they treat injuries to their star players, would it shock anybody if we don't see Embiid again this year? So, maybe they make a move at the deadline to stay relevant. Maybe they bring in some center depth. Maybe they bring in a guy like Bojan. And we make the playoffs and lose in the first round. To me, I don't care about making the playoffs. I don't want to hear, oh, all we have to do is get in. No. I'm done with that, man. Unless we can get to an NBA Finals I don't want to see them do anything. Shut down Embiid, hold on to any assets you have, and then Daryl Morey earn your salary this off season. There's not a lot of free agents, but maybe now we can be in play for a sign and trade, or maybe we could package something up to get a star from another team to pair with Maxi and Embiid. Because I really think we got what two or three years left of Embiid playing at this level, if. What
2: is even this level when the guy can't stay healthy? I'm thinking you have to shut him down. Some of the other names that are being
1: floated are DeJounte Murray from Atlanta. But from what I'm hearing, the Pelicans are heating up. So doesn't look like maybe he's coming to Philly. Maybe he goes to the Pelicans. And then still DeMar DeRozan name getting floated. If the Sixers were going to do anything, Bring in DeJounte Murray, because at least that's a guy that maybe you can have for a few more years. He's only 27 years old. Maybe that's a piece that you pair with Maxi and Embiid next season. But don't make a move just for this season, because it's not going to be enough. But to end on something positive with the 76ers, Jaden Springer, only 21 years old, He's showing that he may be a pretty good perimeter defender. He shut down Steph Curry last night. So when he's got his opportunities, Springer looks like he may be able to grow into a player in this league. So that's the one positive. But for me, shut down Embiid. Let's see what we have in some of these younger players. Just unfortunate every damn year, man. Every damn year. But I wouldn't be upset if they got DeJounte Murray.
2: If you're
1: going to keep them around. That's the big if. But that's it for our Sixers talk today. I want to jump over to the Philadelphia Eagles, getting us ready for our surprise guest at 1020. No Mark Farzetta today, so surprise guest at 1020. But one of the things that came up yesterday, and I don't see my man Wine Niner's Wine in the house today, who's always here, but one of the things that came up yesterday was. About Vic Fangio and us trying to take one isolated game and saying, hey, look what the Eagles did to the Miami Dolphins and Vic Fangio's defense. And I guess we're trying to utilize that one game that Vic Fangio is a bad defensive coordinator. I mean, to me, we're going to pick out one game of the entire season and say, hey, look, because Brian Johnson's Eagles offense was able to put up 350 yards against Vic Fangio, he stinks. I don't, I don't understand that, that analysis. I don't understand how you take out one game of a 17-game season and one game of a 20-year career as defensive coordinator and say, hey, but look, the Eagles put up
2: 350, so he stinks. I'm not buying that. And you look at that game, not to make excuses for Fangio, but
1: no Jalen Ramsey in that game. No Zavian Howard, their other starting corner in that game. The Dolphins committed 10 penalties. The Eagles had zero. So I'm not going to look at one game and say, hey, because of one game, Vic Fangio stinks. And if you just want to look at the final numbers from 2023, Fangio's defense, 10th in total yards, 8th in takeaways, 7th in rushing yards against, middle of the pack, passing yards against third in sacks third in pressure rate and all that was done with Ramsey missing time Jalen Phillips missing time Bradley Chubb missing time Andrew Van Ginkle missing
2: time so I'm still just not understanding the argument oh but look what Brian Johnson's offense did to him he stinks it's one freaking game not buying it and everything that we've heard
1: from former players not the guys in Miami who were happy to see Fangio go. But from other players, players who have been Pro Bowlers in this league, Dante Whitner, Justin Simmons, talk about how great of a teacher Fangio is, how good of a disciplinarian he is. That's what this team needs. We're gonna have a lot of new parts coming in. Whether they're young guys in the draft, whether they're second-year players that were here last year as rookies, whether it's going to be free agents, there's going to be a lot of turnover and change on that defense. You need a coach like Fangio
2: who can come in and be able to teach this defense. And I see people talking about his time in
1: Denver. I've said this before. Being a head coach and being a coordinator are completely different skill sets. Completely different. It's why every single season when the coaching carousel goes and these NFL teams go out and they hire the best offensive coordinator from the year before or the best defensive coordinator from the year before, it doesn't always work out. You just saw it with the Chargers and Brandon Staley. Do we think he was a good head coach? He was
2: a terrible head coach. Good defensive coordinator. Ben McAdoo. Was a good offensive coordinator, terrible head coach.
1: That's why Dan Quinn in Washington doesn't scare me. Great defensive coordinator, doesn't scare me as a head coach. So they're different skill sets. I don't think you could look at Vic Fangio's time in Denver as the head coach and say, well, he can't be a coordinator. Not buying it. But real quickly, looking at some of these cap hits, because I talked about yesterday, And some fans are in complete agreement with this, and others get very, very heated, and that's Jason Kelsey. And I know today is the anniversary of Jason Kelsey's historic speech on the steps of the art museum, something none of us will ever forget, but we can't let that speech cloud our judgment with this football team. I love Jason Kelsey. I can't say it enough. Love him. I'm not even saying that his play has declined. It can. Father time catches up to everyone. We know that. What I'm saying is with all of the needs that this team currently has, for the Eagles to have the highest paid center in the league is a luxury we can't afford. There are too many other needs on this team. You have to put your emotion and your love aside And look at it objectively, because when you start making decisions as an organization with your heart and your emotion, you start making mistakes. So I love Jason Kelsey, but unless he's willing to give a huge, huge hometown discount and come back for a lot less money than he played for last year, you cannot afford to have the highest cap hit
2: in the league at the center position. You just don't have that luxury. So, that's my thoughts on it.
1: And you look at some of these other big caps, cap hits, and we'll continue to talk about this as free agency looms, but Hassan Redick, I've talked to you before, they absolutely have to do something with that contract. There is no way Redick wants to play on the final year of his deal, and there's certainly no way the Eagles want him playing on a $21.8 million cap hit. That's up from $7 million the year before. No way. So they need to figure out an extension. But if he wants to be paid like Miles Garrett, it's not happening. Lane Johnson's cap hit, second highest on the team. He's not going anywhere. Do they go back to Lane again, ask him to restructure again? They've done that a lot. The third highest cap hit on the team. This one is crazy. And this is why there's no way he's here. Kevin Byard. Kevin Byard will have the, if nothing changes, Kevin Byard would have the third highest cap hit on the entire Eagles team at
2: 14.25 million. Not happening. Last year he was 1.7. If they cut him, they save $13 million against the cap. So Kevin Byard, gone.
1: Gone. Maybe they could re sign him. Maybe they can get him to agree to a lesser deal. Maybe you bring him back for some depth. But there's no way Kevin Bayard will be here under that current deal. It's impossible. That is a foregone conclusion, 100%. But we're going to take a quick break. Usually joined by Mark Farzetta on Thursdays. But a special guest making his first appearance on the Philly Sports Power Hour right after the break. Don't go anywhere. Hit that like button. Make sure you're following. We'll be right back.
3: Get ready for the big game with Underdog
1: Fantasy and sign up right now with your verified account. Use the word WIN when you register. Underdog Fantasy is giving away $1 million in
3: giveaways and underdog credit on Super Bowl Sunday. And there's a new customer special for anyone that signs up this week for Patrick Mahomes. Get ready for Super Sunday and set up your account right now with Underdog Fantasy
1: and
2: use the word WIN.
3: L.E.X. Eagles.
1: What's up, everybody? Welcome back into the Philly Sports Power Hour with Bill Calarulo. Still nothing on our Sixers. Like I said, I don't think we'll hear anything until probably 3 o'clock with that trade deadline. But it's Thursday. And Thursdays usually mean Mark Farzetta, but Farzi couldn't make it today. So we had to bring on a surprise guest, somebody who's never been on the Power Hour before. So let's welcome to the show the one and only Big Sills in the house. What's going on, Sills?
3: Well, you know, I was asked to do the show yesterday and I said, well, you know, I really don't know Bill, but I'm looking forward to furthering our relationship. And I said, you know, I'm very partial to Italian. So, I'm here because I may need an attorney one day, and you're a Paisan, so we're good. (laughs) That is right, and we are
1: Paisans, but I don't think we agree on a lot of things with this Eagles team this offseason so far. So we're going to have to get into it, but I do appreciate you coming on. Thank you so So, much, dude. I appreciate it. So me and you haven't had a chance to talk. Now, I was all for them bringing back Sirianni, and I don't think you agree with that.
3: Absolutely not. Um, I love exactly what the Chargers did. It was a full house clean. Um, I never thought that Sirianni was a head coach from the beginning. I think he's a product of the environment that's been in the building since 2000. Um, Nick brought nothing to the table when he got here. And it was taken away after seven games. He was brought in as a play calling head coach that failed. I Talked to Chris Long about that. His, his job participation light like, began to, Dwindle then because when you take that away from him and people start comparing him to Tomlin and John Harbaugh, I mean, those guys are accomplished in organizations that give autonomy to their head coach. He has zero autonomy. And when he was given autonomy last year, he hired inexperienced coaches. And how do you go from this, Bill, from last year with no experience to this year, full experience? That's an organizational shift. Somebody in the front office said, okay, let's give him some autonomy here after the Super Bowl. So what did he do? They gave it to him. They thought it was a little bit of him in managing the 22 team. Well, when he brought those inexperienced, why would you give a quarterback $50 million and hire a guy with no experience at all at play calling? Why? Because he was in the building and they were boys when they played Tonka toys back in the day? That makes no sense. I don't give a crap if he's his friend. I care he's a coordinator that's going to develop him. And he didn't develop him. And it fell apart because people became so predictable in what they were doing. They never evolved the offense. And by week 11, all those great coordinators, like like Brian Flores and Belichick and Ron Rivera, they started systematically taking apart what their game plan was. And it was very obvious. The Eagles go into every game, 10 versus 11. You get nothing out of WR3. You know where you're going with your first two targets. I saw Christian McCaffrey calling plays from a couch that the Eagles were doing. You you did nothing to develop Jalen Hurts this year. Nothing. And now you've put Nick now in a smaller box by bringing these coordinators in and these guys bringing in their assistants in. I like the assistance they're bringing in, but look at Harbaugh. To me, I think Herbert's going to have a sensational season. You got a play-calling head coach, you got Greg Roman to help in the RPOs, and you're bringing in, you know, really good assistant coaches. Jesse Mentor, the kid who worked for both Harbaugh's, is now the coordinator. That organization made a made a made an organizational shift. They're usually an AJ Smith or Tom Telesco general managers. Um, organization. They said, screw that. The only way we're going to get Harbaugh in here is if we give him total autonomy. That's what you needed to do, but here, we'll see what happens, man. I just, I mean, he's, I mean, so, so the relationship between Kellen Moore and Nick Sirianni is going to be the more one that I'm concerned with than it is going to be Kellen Moore and Jalen Hurts. Yeah, but let's go back, because I want to talk about a couple things.
1: So, you look at 2022. Obviously this team had a ton of success and you said it in 2021 Sirianni stopped calling plays after seven games so in 2022 Sirianni wasn't calling plays it was Shane Steichen Sirianni's obviously not calling defensive plays it was Jonathan Gannon yes did he make the best choices with coordinators in 2023 I agree with you but it's been reported they wanted Fangio Gannon doing what he did Made them pivot, they lost out on Fangio. They had to then go to the guy Fangio kind of said, Hey, this is who you want. You want to run my scheme. You want Sean Desai. And I think as much as now in hindsight being 2020, yeah, they never should have turned the offense over to Brian Johnson. That was the logical choice. I don't remember anybody when Shane Steichen got the Indianapolis Colts job. I don't remember anybody saying, Oh, well, they can't go to Brian Johnson. That was pretty much the logical choice is that Brian Johnson, who had been here for a couple years, steps up from the quarterback's coach into the coordinator role. Turned out not to work. But what I don't understand, though, is is this setup, with a good offensive coordinator, they did it with Steichen, a good defensive coordinator, they did it with Gannon, worked. So why do we think it won't work this season with guys like Fangio and Kellen Moore, with Sirianni as a CEO head coach? Um...
3: Who's in charge? Like when Kellen Moore calls a play in the box and he wants to run, um, he wants to run a scene pattern. Does Nick overrule that? What, ha-
1: what I guess how'd they do it when they had Steichen? I mean, it was Steichen pretty much calling all of those
3: plays. Yeah. Because Nick is 13 and 12 when he's in charge of the offense, two and five in last year. And he kept saying all last year, that this is my offense, this is my offense, this is my offense. Brian Johnson calls my plays. Brian Johnson calls my plays. He is 13-12 and when he has had the autonomy of the offense. And so my question, again, is going to be how is that dynamic going to work when he's drawing up game plan? From that press conference release thing that the Eagles like to do, there was this, like, beatitude that was written. Oh, I'm so excited about looking forward to the working of Kellen Moore, and me and him are going to be boys. And all right, I want to see when it gets to be, a... hey, you know what? Bill, you're right. Things things go well when things are winning. But you find out who the rats are. Like John Madden says, when, when the boat takes on some water, you find out all the rats that come to the top and the ones jump off the boat. I'm going to wait and see, because how about this, Bill? Are we not going to see this? If they get out to a rocky start, they'll be screaming for that guy's head, and it'll be a distraction in the first three weeks. Now, I'm hoping, because the way the schedule looks, we don't know how it's going to fall yet, that I'm hoping that they get kind of like a little bit of a pass like they did this past season, where they weren't the greatest teams at the beginning. But, dude, if that thing gets out to a rocky start... The first thing you're going to hear in Philly, this guy's got to go. Yeah. That's going to be an automatic distraction. I, I agree with you on that one.
1: They cannot afford a slow start. They got to go to Brazil and win that damn game or all the chatter is going to start right away. But let me ask you this because some of the power – I like hour, your
3: take. I think it is
1: Atlanta, Bill. I'm hoping it's Atlanta. Me too. I'm hoping. if it's I, If we have to play Green Bay, I want that game at the link because the Packers are not going to be a pushover. We saw that that's, in the playoffs. That's right. let me ask you this, because people here in the chat have been accusing me of being too much of a defender of Nick Sirianni, but what we were asking him to do this season had never been done before in NFL history, Sills. No team had ever gone to a Super Bowl, lost both their offensive coordinator and their defensive coordinator, and got past the divisional round. It had only happened two other times, and you're talking about, The 1995 San Francisco 49ers with George Seifert and Hall of Fame quarterback Steve Young. They couldn't get past the divisional round. And then you have the 2005 Patriots with Bill Belichick and Tom Brady, and they couldn't get past the divisional round. So is it fair for us when he couldn't do something that no other coach in history has ever been able to do to say, yeah, you know what? He's a clown. Fire him.
3: Why hire nobody's? Why hire guy? You're this close, Bill. You're three points from the Super Bowl. And then you turn around the next year and you hire nobodies? Guys with no experience at all except decide a little bit in Chicago. And just because – hey, Bill, I can pretend to be a lawyer too, dude. You know, I mean, hey, I may know how to read, like, you know, (laughs) law, and I know it may know – that doesn't make me a lawyer if I go into the courtroom and I start litigating something and I start going, hey, you know what? I slept at a Holiday Inn Express and I'm a lawyer now. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I mean, Sean decide just to say that, well, you know, I had a half a year here and, hey, I'm boys with Jalen over here and we're good. You know, was common yeah, sense. But I, I agree you know, with what okay? you're saying, but then how does it not – how do we not
1: feel good right now, though, with the fact that they did learn from those mistakes, and now they went from one year of combined coordinator experience to 25 years of coordinator experience.
3: That's, doesn't that frighten you that you have that big of a shift in thinking? That you go from one extreme to the next extreme. What's the next extreme? I mean, you're, there's no... Look, I'll tell you something Tony Dungy told me years ago never get too high never get too low as a head coach you want to make sure the players in the locker room they have an authority figure in the locker room and the head coach he makes complete autonomy decisions you don't want those swings like that bill because you put your team on a roller coaster ride when you do that emotionally in the locker room you're trying to be you're trying to have stability in that locker room the Eagles have been far from stability. These last two years with these hires. Yeah, but you say have stability. You're calling for
1: them to completely clean house and fire Nick Sirianni. How's that stability, man? Well, you
3: half did it. You cleaned the entire staff out. You cleaned the entire staff out. And get this. Did we not hear this? Sean Desai's my guy. Brian Johnson's my guy. Hey, it's not their fault. Hey, it's not their fault. This is my call. How How did the two assistants get fired and he survived? He's told us all year long at press conferences. This was his decision, and yet the assistants fell on the sword. You know why? Because the people upstairs are pulling the strings. Well, let me let me ask you because I see you people – You don't believe the,
1: that? Oh, I, I do think that they call the string. They, they call all the stuff. I, I mean, I think Jeffrey Lurie – has his hand in it a lot more. By the than way, folks, this is
3: how Italians talk. So you may not understand this here. This is oh, this was Italian.
1: uh, this is mild compared to Sunday at my grandmother's. <laughs> people, when when I would bring like friends or like a girlfriend growing up to Sunday dinner, we'd have to warn them like, look, we all love each other.
3: Hey, they hey, you know what? You? I, we used to tell people this. It doesn't matter if you have the facts. Whoever hollers the loudest wins the yeah. argument, so don't worry about nobody, it. In my
1: family, nobody listens to the other person. They're just waiting to speak louder
3: at their opportunity. <laughs> what you say? I don't care. Yeah,
1: it's it's a lot of fun, trust us. But I'll say this. We're talking about Sirianni and, and what they could have done. Jeffrey Lurie, And and I'm not saying I agree with everything they do, you're right. They make a lot of decisions from up top, but we also can't deny the success the organization has had over the last 18 years under Laura. I mean, they're one of the most successful organizations in the NFL, aren't
3: they? So you must like silver medals
1: then. That's a good point. I can't argue with that, Yeah, I can't <laughs> I mean, argue with that. No,
3: they, they, you know what? Personally, I think they get in their way at the finish line. I think that, I think, you know, you know why you won that Super Bowl in 17? Do you think that Philly Philly play was an analytics player? Do you think that came from right here? Oh, no doubt from the heart. Yep. Okay. Well, analytics cost you that Super Bowl and how you looked at shit. That to me is what happens when you have control of your coaching staff. Is when you have that. And by the way, Bill, this is not an Eagle situation. This I think is becoming spread out more in the NFL, and that's why you didn't see Vrabel and Carroll and. Belichick hired and you see these younger guys because most of these guys now are coming from the analytics department or have worked in some capacity in those analytics department and they know how to work with front offices. I had Frank Reich on my show when he was the head coach of the Colts. And he said, he goes, I told Shane and I told all these guys that we're going to go to work in Philly. I'm going to tell you flat out. And by the way, on our show, Xander was producing actually, Frank recommended, said it to Jeffrey Lurie that he recommended Sirianni. And he told Nick, hey, you want You want that job? You have to work with the front office, personnel department, because that's the one thing that got in Doug's way. Doug, after the Super Bowl, thought he had autonomy. Well, when you start playing in Howie Roseman's sandbox, he likes playing in yours. But if you want to play in his, that's when there's going to be a rub. And that's what happened at the end, and that's why Doug kicked the rock down the road. All right, so he, here's where,
1: I'm, where you lose me a little, though, Sills, because you agree Brian Johnson, Sean Desai, no experience at all, was they were both two mistakes in being hired. Did you I, you know
3: with- what? I, I, I want to make this clear, though. Do I think those guys could go on like Raheem Morris later on down the road and become great coordinators and have success somewhere down the road? You may learn from this experience, but you put you rushed them into just you rushed them into positions that they weren't qualified for. They had empty resumes.
1: So, but here's where you lose me because you've also then said, and you commented on my show last week that Jalen Hurts is a 255 million dollar running back. So we saw Jalen Hurts with good coordinator Shane Steichen have an unbelievable MVP caliber season. And now, like you're saying, Brian Johnson wasn't ready to be an offensive coordinator. So how are we ready to say, hey, Jalen Hurts, you're only a $255 million running back?
3: Okay, well, here's where you lose me. At the end of the day, then, do, do you think Nick Sirianni or that coaching staff or even A.J. Brown or anybody helped Jalen Hurts develop into a quarterback this year? You know, nobody thinks that. Because you know what they like to do? They tell half the story. Well, he was good for 10 games. Well, unfortunately, it's a 17-game season. He was second in turnovers, and he was part of the implosion at the end. He couldn't overcome the deficiencies in the coaching. Or I don't know what happened to him, but nobody helped him at the end of the year. I mean, he he, – You're getting further away from Shane Steichen's 22 season. You're bringing Kellen Moore in for this. They want a better version of 23. Well, that's not what I paid for. I paid for that electric 22 player that played more like Lamar, but what they're trying to do is change him into a pocket. I personally don't believe he'll ever win a Super Bowl from the pocket. I just don't. His threat was 22. I couldn't tell you how many times I kept saying this. Even Xander heard me say it third and 11. This guy's going to get out in the perimeter. And he's, he played like Steve Young at 22. And I was like, that guy's a weapon. He's not a weapon back there in the pocket. He's just not. And so, I mean, I think he's, I think he's gotten better. Um, I think Kellen Moore will help him, but Kellen Moore's not going to run the ball more. They're going to run the ball less. Um, they're going to try. I think he'll have a better route tree because Kellen designs better routes than sure. what they were doing last year because it was one-on-one basketball kind of football last year AJ go make a play. They weren't really good designed routes last year. Defensive guys were just figuring it out easily. So again, we'll see. What they're trying to do is extend his career. I don't care if he plays 15 years. If he went plays 9 years and wins you two Super Bowls playing like 22, who cares? If he if he played if you're trying to extend him and change him that's not what you paid for bill you didn't pay for the 23 version of jalen hurts you paid for the 22 version make that version better
1: yeah i i think that jalen is a better passer than that you're giving him credit for i think we've seen it at times i think we've seen it at times where him forced to actually play from the pocket and i think what we forget is yes the end of this season was bad i mean it was historically bad But the first 11 games of the season, the first 12 weeks of the NFL season, Jalen Hurts was still your odds-on favorite to be the MVP.
3: I think a lot of us forget that. Yeah, well, again, there's 17 games in a season. No, and and, and I think a lot of what you saw was Brian Johnson, and you mentioned it. Oh, so you're blaming the coordinator. It's like blaming a batting instructor for a guy in a slump. A little bit different, though. I mean, if you're the guy calling the place and you're the guy designing the route
1: concept, I mean, one of the things that I couldn't believe was you have an offense that includes A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith, Dallas Goddard, and DeAndre Swift, and you're close to the bottom of the league in yards after catch. That should be impossible with players like that. But how many routes did we see where you have Dallas Goddard running towards the sidelines? How many bubble screens did they call? I saw a stat, only 5.2% of Jalen Hurts' passes were between the hashes. This is why I'm excited to see under Kellen Moore, because even with the Chargers last year, who had a bad offense, they weren't that great, top five in average yards after catch. So I want to see route designs and concepts that allow Jalen Hurts to get the ball in his playmaker's hands in space. So that's why I blame Brian Johnson, and Sirianni needs to take fault for that as well. He did say it was his offense. but Sales, we're running out of time. I want to talk to you a little bit about the defense, because I know the defense, in my opinion, needs a hell of a lot more help than the offense. Wow. A ton of help. Do you think, because we know Howie Roseman can be stubborn, we know Howie Roseman can be arrogant, do you think he's going to learn from the mistakes they made going into 2023, which was ignoring linebacker, ignoring safety, trying to piecemeal, with guys off the street, do you think they're going to make some good moves at those positions?
3: Bill, I, 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 you know, it's funny, you know, and I'm the one that started that stupid A.J. Brown trade thing to try to get some assets. Because to me personally, like, look at Devontae Adams in Green Bay. He leaves. Green Bay, and they even get rid of Aaron Rodgers and got better. Kansas City Chiefs are in their second Super Bowl without Tyree Kill. And to me, you don't build teams from the perimeter. In you build them from the inside out if you're going to build a championship team. And I started thinking, and someone brought up, still very confident that Howie is going to draft a linebacker or corner or safety that's going to be compatible with some of the picks that you, you would get if you did. And I, again, I was just spitballing too, Bill. So, But at the end, I go, no. Because you know what? It's been since 1979, they drafted a, a linebacker in the first round. They don't really draft safeties. They're horrific at drafting corners. They're horrific at drafting linebackers. I mean, every single problem that they have had on that team. Bill, that side of the ball is a money issue, and here's why. When you when you miss, and it's really a draft issue, the Jalen Rager draft choice, it's not just the player that you missed on. It's the amount of money you missed on. I mean, you're going to pay A.J. Brown $60 million, where if you had landed on Justin Jefferson, right, you would have had three years on the rookie. Even view. if you didn't land on Jefferson you landed on a player that was functional, you landed on a player that would have given you three years of $60 million that you could have spread. Maybe. Cause I do think he doesn't do a bad job on pro personnel. Last year was a disaster. The year before it was a grand slam. So he's not bad at finding lower guys on the, On the on the rosters of teams, I think they do a decent job there, but to they their money they losing the equity. Like like Jordan Davis, Jordan Davis is not getting a second contract with me right now. He's played eight games that are decent in two years. I mean, dude, you're not the 13th pick. He's running out of runway, and I mean runway the the latitude of the rookie contract. These DTS are twenty million dollars, so. Do I trust him to get draft picks to retool that team? The reason that you don't have sustainable success, and I mean that you're constantly retooling that defense, all your money's on one side of the ball. You didn't get any production out of your corners where you have the majority of your money. And the rest of the team are trash cans, trash can linebackers, trash can safeties, and you're constantly revolving the door every two years. That's why you're not consistent on it, Bill. So my problem is. Do I feel comfortable? Um, If he's going to go pro personnel, he doesn't really have the money this year. I mean, you're going to have to do a lot of restructuring here. You're going to have to do some hard decisions on one of those corners. I just don't trust him in the draft. And that's – this is something we
1: definitely agree on because I've been preaching this now for a couple of months that the reason the defense was in the state they were in was because Howie Roseman missed – on almost every single defensive draft pick because just like on their rookie deals, they have to be contributing to your team when they're still on their four-year rookie contract. And I mean, just listen to some of these names, Sills, go on to 2022. Jordan Davis, Nicobe Dean, Kyron Johnson. Kyron Johnson's on the Steelers. Dean's on IR. Davis gave you nothing. You go to 2021. He does a good job with D-tackles. I like Milton Williams. Me too. But then you got... Zach McPherson, Teron Jackson, Jacoby Stevens, out of the league. That was your linebacker choice. Patrick Johnson pretty much just played special teams. You go to 2020, Davion Taylor, out of the league. That was a linebacker choice. Kavon Wallace, he's your safety. He's on the Titans. Sean Bradley, special teamer on IR. Casey Tuhill, defensive end, on the commanders. This is why the defense is in the state they are in. Completely. And you're right. They have to make some tough decisions this year. And this is what I want to ask you about because I got some heat from my Power Hour crew yesterday for suggesting this. I don't think you bring Jason Kelsey back this year. I think you have so many needs that we don't have the luxury to have the highest paid center in the league. You just don't. I love Kelsey. He's a legend. But you have so many other needs, we don't have the luxury of saying, oh, yeah, we also want the highest
3: paid center in the league. You agree with that? No. Um, wrong guy. Oh, no, your premise. I like you going with the money because you're right. I'm not bringing Fletcher Cox back at $10 million. Okay, Fletcher Cox. Either am I. I'm not bringing any of, the, any of those three vets. Maybe BG because he gives you a I real home I have no interest in BG. Discount. Gives you nothing. I need the roster spot. Yeah. BG is not a player I have any interest in bringing back. Zero. I need the – and it's not the money. Hey, watch this. BG, thank you very much for everything you did. And, you know, I heard you talking the other day about motion. Take the motion. I, I don't – the NFL guys don't think with emotion that cut your ass in a second. Hey, BG, thank you very much for your service. You'll always be an Eagle. We love you, but I need the roster spot. You're out. And to me, I look at Kelsey. Kelsey is the top center in the league. You, and you're going to bring a new coordinator. in. so what you want to do is you want to think that you're going to go from Jason Kelsey, the top center in the NFL to Cam Juergens, I'm assuming, or maybe even maybe experiment with Landon Dickerson, because he was brought in here for, you know, initially to be the replacement. I like Landon where he is, okay? But, and Landon's going to make $20 million as a guard. But my point is, is that, hey, say Father Time hits him and he drops down 25%. 75% of Jason Kelsey is better than 95% of any center in the NFL. He is, without a doubt, one of the greatest players I've ever seen. And at $10 million, that's a steal. And with a new coordinator, and who is going to be doing new Blitz pickup concepts. You're going to need the most experienced guy at that position with a new play calling offensive coordinator. What I don't want to do, Bill, is bring in a guy and have the guy have a guy have on the job workout and try to figure it out by moving over to center and playing 17 games. When I got the best in the business with a new offensive concept and one of the most things that they struggled with last year was their backs not being able to pick up the blitzes and blitz pickup. You're you you you, you put you would put the offense, in my opinion, by getting rid of Kelsey at a deficiency by not having experience at that position. You make a good point on the field. I'm looking at the numbers
1: and I'm saying, hey, I, you're Cam, right. Cam Jurgens 1.8 million. I Tyler get it. Steen, 1.8 million.
3: You're not wrong, Bill. Because when you, you know? start in the NFL. It's not like college ball. Hey, get that kid in there. Get that guy out. Nobody cares. But when you're in the pros, you're right. You got to If you pay him, Bill, you play him. That I mean, it's just what it is. No, no matter how – that's why when people – I keep hearing you guys in the postgame show. I, I would bench this guy. Man, you ain't benching anybody. Seth knows that too. You pay him, you play him. Yeah. Now, Seth actually talking about BG. Seth keeps mentioning to me that he would
1: like to see BG back, but at D, tackle which I thought would be interesting. I don't know. I mean, if they run a 3-4 style of defense, maybe on that three technique, you could move
3: BG to a tackle position. I don't know. Well, we'll here, because that's coming from the angle of the majority of the defense today, Bill, are 75% of the time, you're in nickel. So because a lot of teams throw the rock now. Yep. So, you know, I kind of get it. And I first I heard it. I was like, come on, dog. This guy's 255 going to put him inside. He's going to get killed in there. I mean, by the war of attrition, not because of his ability. Yeah. Okay, 255 going against 355. I mean, come on, you know, you go 17 weeks with that, something's going to break. So, but your majority of the time in third down, you know, you got to remember something about Fangio style. It's contain and control. You're not going to see anything different, Bill, than what you saw last year. You're just going to see better guys. I talked to Clint Hurd. He's a dear friend of mine. Went to the University of Miami. And um, you know we were talking about Josh Sweat. I think Josh Sweat's probably your best complete player. But I told him, I go look at his snap count. He played over three hundred more snaps than any other year in his entire it, career. It
1: showed at the end of the season too.
3: It surely did. It warm out. Yeah. I mean, it completely warm up. That's because of this. They had no depth at that position. Nobody could come in and help. <laughs> Nolan Smith was a non-factor at all. And I mean. I don't know. I mean, it's just they need a they need tons of players over there.
1: Yeah, it's going to be an interesting off season. Well, big sills. We got to do this again, man. This was fun. I appreciate you coming on.
3: <laughs> Passa for everyone, right? <laughs> <laughs>
1: You're gonna have that on Super Bowl Sunday. What's your Super um, Bowl no? Sunday I'm gonna have
3: gil and I'll probably have listen some galamad. I like to have a little fish. You know, it's not kind of like you know Christmas Eve stuff. But I put the scunjil there. Then I get the galamad. And I'll probably have a little bit of lobster on the side there too. Nice. See, I'm not yeah. doing seafood.
1: I, I told I told my fiance I want cutlets. I want some chicken cutlets on Super Bowl Sunday.
3: That's what. What I mean. a white guy! You're not. Come on. What are you a <laughs> Northern Italian? <laughs> I love my chicken cutlets, man. My grandma made
1: great cutlets
3: growing up, man. <laughs> Absolutely, Bill. Thanks so, for having Big me. Big sales.
1: I appreciate you, man. We'll have to do this again. You bet. Thank you, sir. Have a good one. Big sales in the Philly Sports Power Hour for the first time. And I see all of you in the chat. The 76ers did make a trade. They trade for Indiana Pacers guard Buddy Heald. Sixers trade Marcus Morris Sr., Furkan Korkmaz, and three second-round picks for Buddy Heald. So, he's only 31. I think he's on an expiring contract, if I'm not mistaken, Buddy Heald. But, obviously, can shoot the rock. Good good catch and shooter on the three-point three point line. So we'll see what he does. Does this mean that the Sixers are confident that Embiid's going to be able to come back? We will see. And, hey, if you listen to some of the chatter, the chatter was the Sixers were going to be very aggressive at the trade deadline. Is this just one of many moves? So we will see. We will see. Oh, man, Smiley saying, Sills own me. Oh, boy, man.
2: thought I was holding my own against big Sills there. Jeez. Chuck Hutton giving me some credit here.
1: But that was fun. We'll have to do that again. We will have to do that again. But the Sixers do make the trade. Buddy healed. This will definitely add to their three-point scoring. I saw a stat yesterday. I don't have it in front of me, but Buddy Heald's one of the best when it comes to the catch and shoot real quick. So we'll see how Nick Nurse utilizes him. But uh, what do we got here? We're running out of time, man. 10.54. So this was an interesting one. You, you know I always end my Philly sports power hours with a today in sports
2: history. Well, today... February 8th, 1936, was the first ever NFL draft. First ever. And interestingly, do you know who had the first pick in the first ever NFL draft? The Philadelphia Eagles. Hold on, and we're going to get into that. I'm seeing you guys in the chat. Ass was grass. He smoked you. Man. Man. I'm getting killed in the chat here. I got to call Big Seals. I got to get him back on the show. Got to get Big Seals back on the show. Man. What was Slager saying? Too respectful. All valid points. Conjecture and theory. It wasn't exactly the
1: thriller in Manila. All right, we'll get Big Sills back on. We'll get them back. But well, appreciate all of you in the chat. I really do. Jason A-Team, come on, my brother. Getting crushed lately. Yeah, a lot of you thought that Farzy got me last week, too. Man, not getting any love from my crew. It's all right. It's all right. I can take it. I still appreciate all of you. I do, man, getting heat from my own crew, but anyway, today in sports history, first ever NFL draft, February 8th, 1936, interestingly, the Philadelphia Eagles had the first pick, and if you think Howie Roseman's made some draft, bad draft picks, listen to this one, the first ever NFL draft, the first pick overall, the Philadelphia Eagles select Jay Burwagner from the University of Chicago, and he never played a down for the Philadelphia Eagles. In fact, he never played a down in the NFL. He wanted $1,000 a game. The Eagles wouldn't agree to it, so they traded his negotiating rights to the Chicago Bears, George Hallis made him a final offer of thirteen thousand five hundred. Burr Wagner wanted fifteen, so he said, "You know what? Forget it. I'm not playing in the NFL." And he went and worked for some Chicago Rubber Company. So the very first NFL draft pick ever never played a down in the NFL. Instead, he went and worked at a Chicago Rubber Company crazy man crazy today in sports history but tomorrow on the power hour we'll do our super bowl edition we'll continue to break down some sixers because i have a feeling there's going to be some other trade news coming out we'll dive into this buddy heel trade a little bit more we'll take a look at the flyers they play tonight against the jets and then we'll turn our focus to super bowl sunday chiefs and 49ers so i'll talk more about that tomorrow but go ahead hit that like button for me hit that share button make sure you are subscribed make sure you're following me everywhere and I appreciate all of you even though you're coming after me in the chat some of my crew I appreciate all of you so I'm Bill Calarulo this was the Philly Sports Power Hour and as always go birds
0: go for the polls and the pools